0: Project Lawful, a.k.a. Plane Crash, by Yarwain, a.k.a. Eliezer Yudkowski, and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos, and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 50.
1: In a black stone room in a black stone skyscraper in the doom-punk city of Dis, a contract devil is reading case law, as one does.
2: Waking up from dying is not exactly like waking up from falling asleep. Your memory isn't of a muzzy period that trails off and blurs into naughtness as you fall half-asleep and then all-asleep. Dying is abrupt, at least if you do it the way Asmodea did. Hearing a security alert to cast resistances she doesn't have, no useful spells prepared at all, and then being swarmed by shadows moments after she'd reached her self-defense dagger. It's very clear where your last life's memory ends. Coming out of it is something like being drowning in the water and then clawing yourself onto shore and coughing out that water, and then, having just finished doing that. Only without the whole part where you almost drowned, made it to shore, and coughed out that water. Just the part where you'd finished. Asmodea wakes up. It doesn't take her very long at all to figure out why she's naked in a black stone room in front of a contract devil she met very recently. Her internal screaming is very, very, very loud, but it's all internal, of course.
1: Well, that was fast, he says, turning to look at her, half annoyed and half amused. Eventful day, hmm? Stay there and shut up until I'm at a good stopping place. And he returns to his book.
2: As Modia stays there and shuts up. The more time he reads, the better they'll probably raise her. 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 they'll probably raise her, they'll probably raise her, they'll probably raise her. 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 They'll probably raise her.
1: her. Right, he says brightly, when he's finished the page he's writing and reshelved the books on the enormous bookshelves paneling the wall behind him. Well, they'll probably raise you, which makes trying to get any actual training done a waste of time, but they might take their time about it. What's your guess? For how long?
2: The thought crosses Asmodia's mind to lie, but only very briefly. If she was found out, it might be a very poor start to her stay in hell. It my priority depends on whether the shadows got Keltham too, or if they can raise him. There's a chance I'll be a high priority. I don't know what that chance is. Do you know what's happening in Shellyax right now, in the place I died?
1: You can lie if you'd like. I don't mind, he says cheerfully. If I minded, I would simply make the punishment more fun until I was once again indifferent about whether you lie. You have to preserve your patience if you do a lot of training new petitioners. I think we are getting the gossip ahead of everyone who isn't officially in line for it, what with you having come straight to me. Good girl, by the way. But we'll know soon, from whether Dis has soldiers in the streets, whether there's a broader fight or a one-off bit of nonsense, conspiratorially. I think there might be a broader fight.
2: He can read her mind then. I was reading a math book in my bedroom when I heard a security alert telling me to resist negative energy, which I can't do, and then shadows attacked me and I died pretty quickly. I don't know why that place was swarmed with shadows, except obviously that they would have been after. Sir, are you authorized to know about Keltham and his project? I do not have any grasp of that, but if you are reading my mind, you know I am being sincere when I say that I don't know whether hell has cleared yourself to know about it. If he can see her mind, then he knows that she is being very sincere, very humble, and only trying to serve Asmodeus's purposes and interests when she thinks about how she is trying not to think about thoughts that may be classified information.
1: You know, he says. It's such a shame how you want to be eaten by demons. I think you'd make a quite satisfactory contract devil yourself once you'd had training. A real waste. Which means, of course, it'll be more expensive for you to get what you want, since you're trying to buy something quite valuable away from those who lay claim to it. Did you ever consider being totally worthless? Of course, then. I suppose you'd have nothing with which to buy even your very worthless place keeping the floors shiny. He gestures, and, yes, there's a face there, moving very subtly in the glossy black tile, distorted like it's far away and underwater, screaming, obviously. I am authorized to know the business of anyone I own. If that means I just got a promotion, so be it. And if someone thinks I am not suited to the promotion and tries to kill me, So be that, too. It would be a great sickness in the heart of hell, were it ever correct for you to withhold something from me. If I feared this hypothetical promotion, I might choose to sell you off right away without asking. But that would be my choice, not yours. Do you understand?
2: Yes. The shadows were obviously after Keltham who, if he knows anything like what he thinks he knows, and I think he does is potentially the greatest weapon and asset that Cheliax has. Keltham knows. Law. Math standing behind things. Underneath the world. Underneath thoughts. Ideas that could obviously be used to create weapons if somebody wanted, but he somehow doesn't think like that. Asmodia wonders why there might be a broader fight, what sort of broader fight, but doesn't have the temerity to ask. Well, she thought it. So he knows it but she hadn't meant to do that to ask.
1: Fascinating, he says. Write down everything you've learned since you heard of Keltham, while it's fresh. The quill on the left draws your blood. You may do a draft in ink first, if you'd like, which would be the quill on the right. The potions on the third shelf help clarify the memory. They'll burn your tongue out. So if you have anything to say, you may as well say it now.
2: That's pretty tame for hell. She can't stop herself from thinking, if that was all there was to hell, it wouldn't be that bad. It's a really stupid thought, and she already knows that he has an unending depth of torments vastly worse she does not need to be told or shown that part. If there's anything I should prioritize in case I get raised almost immediately, sir, whether you mean me to write down math and ideas I learned from Keltham, or also all the strange things happening around him. Like Ione getting book powers from Nethys, and Pilar getting oracled by Caden Kelian, and the Queen suddenly deciding that Carissa Saver is worth sleeping with, and all of that sort of stuff. Why the writing works better in her blood, if it's possible to draft in ink. She does not need or want that answered. It isn't meant as a defiance, her brain just wonders that sort of thing, and she knows it isn't needful for her to know it. Why she wouldn't just be told to take the third shelf potion right away.
1: The devil has been only half attending to her, flitting around getting more books off the shelves. But at that, he stops. Carissa Savar, he says. Tell me more.
2: Who the fuck is Sever, actually? Everything she just said and the first thing he wants to hear about is Sever.
0: Keltham has discovered the very strange pleasure of snuggling somebody who can't snuggle back. You wouldn't think this would make any sense and yet there's a strange, you know, he's not even going to analyze, he's just going to wrap his limbs around Sivar while she can't wrap back, and enjoy that for some reason. Eventually his brain pings him with an impending boredom warning, because he is still, unfortunately, a Doth Ilani, and this activity is not one of vast complexity. He can either escalate it, down a path where he's not quite sure what is or isn't sex, or he can restart the conversation from pre-forbidden topic. Keltham opts for the latter. "'Ready to be talked with while you can't escape,' Keltham says. Mm -hmm. "'So I've got smaller questions, sub-questions, like how when you told me that you'd made yourself prettier, I felt this weird sense of both ownership of your appearance or something, and a worry that you thought you weren't already attractive for me, like my brain thinks I'm now the center of your decision process. I think it's all part of a larger question,' that I think is a common thread running through my notes that got lost. But maybe you want to start with a smaller question first.
3: Yeah, no, I think there's probably a larger thing there. So, some people just like hitting people in the bedroom, and that's fine. But it seemed likely, once you mentioned you were growing romantic feelings that you actually want an overall romantic relationship dynamic that's built the same way, where you have power and ownership and make decisions, where my sexuality is for you and is yours to shape and enjoy and make demands of. And so I would predict you'd want lots of things in that sphere.
0: Keltham takes a deep breath. So, you've now ever been partially exposed to snippets from the basics of the basics of childhood training for Dothilani. You don't have zero idea of how we see reality. We're used to knowing things legibly, including places where Galarian might have the idea that it's important for people to obscure things because you've built a weird, not-quite-lawful thing which requires illegibility to work. Like bargaining, the way you first described how somebody would do that for my shirt. You can imagine a non-Dathilani with a shirt thinking, oh no, I must conceal that the true value of my shirt to me is just a million gold pieces. If they think it's really five million, I can get a higher price. If they know it's one million, they can just give me an ultimatum to take one million, one hundred thousand, take it, or leave it. A Dathilani wouldn't be scared of things becoming legible because they have more lawful approaches that don't disadvantage them in the presence of that legibility. They know the right thing to do is refuse unfair but mutually beneficial trades with very high probability. The real value they put on their shirt isn't a secret for them, the way it's a secret for somebody bargaining. The usual way for Galarian. I mean, if they were playing by Galarian's rules, they might still try to make the other person think it was five million if that was the game. If it wasn't anything serious like negotiations with Cheliax, I could see myself playing the bargaining game, the illegible way. If that saved me time explaining things, I'd try to have fun with it even, though I doubt I'd be very good at it on the first try. But I'd have a legible game to fall back on, if the illegible game blows up or isn't going my way. If you're used to that being the way things are, trying to play an illegible game with no known legible law, underlying it feels like walking on wet ice. You don't have a lot of ice. Feels unstable like you're about to put your foot down wrong and fall over any second. As kids, they train us to keep going anyways and parse the universe as we run through it, but that doesn't make illegibility feel safe. There's places even so where civilization would give somebody a hug and tell them it was okay to not be totally legible right away. A mother who just gave birth to a child doesn't need to immediately put a value in unskilled labor hours on her baby's life how much she'd pay to avert a 0.1% chance of various bad things happening, any of that. Anybody who burst in and started quizzing her about that would be ejected from the maternity hospital and probably from most of the cities in civilization. But when civilization gives someone a hug and tells them it's okay not to make up numbers today, what that relies on, very crucially, is the expectation that the numbers the mom isn't making up and doesn't know to herself are roughly correct numbers, in the sense of leading to roughly the same decisions as better numbers would. The reason we give a hug of it's okay not to be legible today to the mom who just gave birth is that, if she did make up numbers about the value of her baby's life to her, they'd be more like four million labor hours than four labor hours. She's not going to frantically drop her baby in order to save a water glass from falling and breaking. If you expected her to get decisions like that wrong, You'd tell her to make up legible numbers immediately and run them past somebody else. Someone tells me that she's given herself to me, to do with as I want, and if I'd grown up in Galerion, we'd probably both be fine from there. But in reality, I'm pretty sure there would be some things I could do that were really not what you had in mind, like like taking that sharp thing, plus three vicious nasty big sword, and killing you with it, and then after you're brought back I just kill you again, and tell Chelyax not to bring you back that time. That is probably really not what you had in mind, and just to be very clear, it is not what I had in mind either. And you can't spell out things like that for me, my model predicts you replying, because then it's you telling me what I can't do, and contrary to the nature of this thing the way it needs to be. In this case there's no problem, right? Because it so happens that I don't want to do that to you. My brain is generating the correct answer, despite it being illegal to tell me an underlying law. But that also means I'm playing an illegible game that has no known legible game behind it, and I feel like I'm walking around on wet ice every time I try to think about moving forward with it, because I did not grow up in Galarion, and I am not confident that the numbers I'm not making up are roughly correct ones. Done.
3: Actually, if that specific thing happens, she'll be so fucking promoted in hell— But there's no way to—oh, wait. Yes, there is. I contemplated whether you might do that, and decided if you did, I would have an incredibly lucrative storytelling gig in hell, telling people about the fascinating, very brief experience of trying to explain sadism to an alien from another world. Uh, I realize that was just an example.
0: This feels like some strange reflection of Adathilani's dignity— where you can't possibly offend them in various ways without making a deliberate and adversarial effort about it. Except it's about you being... invincible, not something that can be truly hurt by anything, something like that.
3: Carissa finds herself noticing that she shouldn't lie about how her sexuality works because she has no idea what the second law of inferring people's sexualities does. She assumed Keltham noticed she was faking earlier through training she could learn to subvert... But if he's using the second law, then the only way out is truth. Not necessarily her truth, but real truth. The only thing that will have the right truth properties on the shadow plane. Of, what did he call them? Tropes. Part of chelish dignity is definitely that you only offer deals if you genuinely mean them. That you're not relying on any altruism or mercy of the other person that was not specified up front. In practice, if you like the sort of things I like, that kind of means you have to be awfully invincible. Or, mostly I slept with people at the World Wound where the treaty proscribed them killing or permanently disabling or kidnapping me, and that was enough. I don't think the core thing that is important to me is being invincible. I think the core thing that is important to me is Not being foolish, and if I assumed there was some safety where there wasn't, then that was foolish, especially across a species gap, so I had to assume there might be none, and it's very satisfying to be able to assume that. And another part of it is that something very important to me is being safe. I think part of why I like being hit is that one way of being safe, right, is to never have bad things happen to you, But another is to never have bad things be bad for you, to transmute them all through arousal and the admiration of others and sheer determination into something that you're good at and prized for. I feel safer when someone is hitting me than I ever feel otherwise, because I know I can handle something I didn't previously know I could. You could drive a sword through me, no one would stop you, but I'm safe even if you do, so I'm not scared. I don't know if I'm making sense. She's not lying, though.
0: I'll try trusting you about it then, he says, in almost a whisper, feeling rather scared himself. Until you tell me to stop. He doesn't say it aloud. It's supposed to be illegible.
4: How is Sevar doing that? Abigail has repeatedly glanced over at the transcript, reading every few steps as the quill writes them and Abigail can't understand anything about how Sever figured out how to say exactly what she said. Maybe it'll come clear once she gets the full transcript with Savar's thoughts, but Abigail somehow doubts it.
5: We are in the middle of a war, hisses Aspexia rugaton Asmodeus is in the middle of a war. Pay attention.
3: I am. The war is predictable. Carissa can't think of anything to say that'd possibly improve on that outcome, so she just lets all her delight show on her
0: face. I'm about ready to sleep. Want me to let you out of... See, if I wasn't this exhausted, I'd have noticed faster that I'm not supposed to ask you that. But if I've got to decide, then I need additional information, right? That's why my brain doesn't want to decide right away. Are there likely to be any Carissa needs a toilet first consequences if I decide to try falling asleep snuggling you like this? If a more experienced thing I am would know to tell you to give me other information first. Tell me those questions.
3: I think someone more experienced would say it as, I'm going to go to sleep snuggling you like this, but I'll entertain arguments I should let you out for a little while first. I should, in fact, probably check out the fancy palace baths.
0: Keltham has an alternate thought. "'Is it a real impulse, something he actually wants out of his true self? "'Or his brain auto-completing the thing that a person like him would do "'based on its early primitive pattern prediction? "'Probably a real impulse. "'Keltham isn't sure, but if he's not sure, that's reason enough. "'Should you now? "'Well, I'll snuggle you for a bit longer since I feel like doing that, "'and then possibly I'll let you out. "'But no promises.'"
3: Tiny happy Carissa sound.
6: The top priority on the raised deads is getting everyone who is themselves a fifth circle or higher cleric of Asmodeus raised by morning so they can join in on the raised deads themselves. There are not usually quite this many dead clerics of Asmodeus, but they're getting through it. Burning diamonds at a pace everyone knows that even the richest treasury in all Galarian can't keep up for very long, but longer than Nadal, probably. They have some other people nearby casting restoration on the newly raised clerics to fix the problem where they come back weaker. It's a nice little assembly line operation. Someone from palace security is on hand for Mayol's resurrection. They have a briefing for him. It's a pretty long briefing, considering he's been dead for almost five hours now.
7: It's not the first time Ferrer Mayol has been raised. He doesn't remember anything of hell. He's a priest of Asmodius, not a sold soul who bypasses sorting. And while his god could perhaps trouble himself to take Mayol directly, Asmodeus, of course, has never shown that much solicitude. Mayol is someone who'll predictably be raised even with prophecy broken. He has never seen the boneyard even briefly. His last memories say that somebody hit him with a suffocation spell. A caster powerful enough that Mayol went unconscious almost immediately. And unconscious is not a good place to be in the middle of a Nidal assault, even if the spell doesn't just kill you. Maileol didn't particularly expect to survive, to be clear, and burned all his negative channelings almost immediately. He wasn't expecting combat that day, and hadn't requested spells accordingly. Mileyol lives and pulls himself together, fast enough you might not notice it, and requests a situation update.
6: Our lord is at war with Zonkuthon, the briefing begins, and Cheliax is at war with Nadal. Keltum is alive, Sever is alive and has project command, though she delegated most project decisions to you anticipating your immediate return. O'Tolman's oracle is alive. Keltham, Sever, and O'Tolman's oracle have been relocated to the palace on Her Majesty's orders. Savor is presently chained up in Keltham's bed, having had a conversation with him, in which she told him that what he desires is a romantic relationship in which she belongs to him. He worried she did not mean he could murder her. She insisted she did mean that and he decided to trust her and tried doing whatever he wants, which seems to be cuddling. Project casualties are in your briefing notes. They're in line for resurrection. We're seeing high casualties on the border, so those resurrections may be slow at their present prioritization. Pilar, the oracle of Cadencalion, somehow accompanied Keltham to his spell testing and out of the villa for the summons, and then took a sword for him. She's higher priority for resurrection because we're both worried we might lose her. She's in Elysium and because we need to ask her what the fuck happened as Modia is also dead, confirmed in hell, lower priority, Ione is not conscious and may not, given the vision was likely from Nethys, recover consciousness. The villa has just been determined clear of hostiles and traps and not yet evaluated for Kuthite magic items for divination or espionage. Keltham is suspicious about the destruction of his notes, which happened when the Kuthites swarmed the villa, and about the fact that the invasion was obviously timed to his stepping outside the villa, and yet the invaders didn't seem to immediately know where he was. We have no explanation for this. He's requested we ensure there are no secret Kuthites on staff. We're pretty damn sure, obviously, but if there's anyone who could plausibly have evaded recent evaluation, haul them in. He's also suspicious that security didn't teleport him out. We determined that staff member used his teleports earlier in the day fetching requisitions from a supply depot in quarantine and that despite this, he was selected to accompany Keltham out of the villa, because he passed muster to detect anxieties and detect desires when most didn't. But if anything about that seems odd to you, we can raise his priority for resurrection as well, or if he refuses it, contact his owner in hell.
7: Our Lord is at war with Zon-Kuthon would be harder to understand as a statement with import clearly distinct from Chelyax is at war with Nadal if there were not a window inside the room Mayol now occupies, from which you can see a bit of the darkest of night sky, flickering, in a way that, if history is true, it hasn't done in the hundred years since Aradon died and the world wound opened. Mayol wants to believe that this is literally the worst that a project disaster can possibly, possibly get. He is afraid that it is not. Have we considered the possibility that this project is, in fact, cursed directly by Ferasma herself with all of her malice, and should be shut down entirely before we find out what happens to it tomorrow, says Malion. He doesn't actually, but he thinks it very loudly. What he says instead is, I need explicit confirmation that Aspexia Rugatoni knows that Carissa Savar is sharing a building with the queen.
8: In the depths of the center of the palace in Igorian there is a chamber that sees unfortunately frequent use. The queen sits on a stepped dais high enough that her own head will not be below that of the crouching form of Gorthoclec the pit fiend, which, even with Gorthoclec crouching, requires quite the high dais. Across from Gorthoclec also stands Contessa Lirilatha in full and deadly panoply. Before the dais stands one other. The most important purpose of this chamber is to, when it becomes necessary, hold an intervention.
4: You Abigail Thrune declares coldly, imperiously, a voice like a twisting dagger, are a greater disappointment to me than perhaps any other being or happening in my life.
2: The feeling is mutual, says one of the three entities in Cheliax, who would dare say such a thing.
4: I can remember as though it were yesterday, my excitement when I learned that Asmodeus had sent me my own personal Erinyes to tempt me and corrupt me. What poisonous words does she now whisper in my ears? Restrain my cruelty. Restrain my lust. I must control my desires and not let my desires control me. I have been assigned my own personal black-winged monk of Erori. Irori is lawful neutral, observes the same entity who spoke before, Contessa Laralatha. Asmodeus is lawful evil. Need I spell out in greater detail what the two have in common? Imagine my own disappointment when, hoping I had been assigned an eager pupil to corrupt further, I found myself instead tasked to restrain an incipient drow queen. Drow queen. What a tempting thought. They, one hears, are allowed to have fun.
5: Aspexia Rugaton speaks then, weary, dry, from where she stands before the dais, facing down the queen with the other two sensible beings in Cheliacs. You are allowed to have fun. You are allowed to have other fun find different fun. I don't want different fun. I want to turn Sevar into a statue.
4: I really, really want to turn Sevar into a statue.
5: I really, really want to dissolve you in acid, but you don't hear me being a wine-complain-bitch about it. This word of infernal now appears as a loanword in the chellish dialect of Taldane. I want to petrify her slowly,
4: so that she can feel it happening— and scream with all of her heart and all of her soul while it's happening, and release all of that terror and tension and everything inside her. And I want to kiss her gently while she's turning to stone and screaming. She's just so scared, and I so rarely meet anyone who's that scared. Well, anyone interesting to me who's that scared of me personally doing something that it would interest me to do to them.
1: Even hunched over, with its wings folded, the black figure is taller than a man standing on another man's shoulders. I expect that our lord would be most extremely displeased, rumbles Gorthoclec.
4: I would, of course, unpetrify her immediately afterwards, and swear then never to do that to her in truth, unless she had betrayed the House of Throne knowingly, deliberately, and unambiguously.
8: Gorthoclec and Larry Latha both pass their bluff checks against the queen. Aspexia Rugaton, who is not specialized in splendor in quite the same way, does not. The brief break in the room's atmosphere is, therefore, however finely, noticeable.
4: What? says Abigail? Did you actually believe that I would actually bury her? Really? Really? After having known me this long, you still think I would do that?
8: Yes, say three of the four most powerful beings in Cheliax in unison. Perhaps
4: I would if Asmodeus had not singled her out and if she were not performing vital work for Chelyax. But that being so, do you truly believe I would affront Asmodeus's purpose and interests? so when I could have most of the fun I wanted without the cost to hell? You should know, given the consequences to me, and how those have not yet been invoked, that I have never once betrayed Asmodeus in the depths of my own heart.
1: The trouble is, What the depths of your own heart seem to define as a betrayal of Asmodeus, rumbles Gorthoklek. The depths of your own heart seem astonishingly permissive about it.
4: Oh, how misfortunate. The devil negotiating my pact on behalf of Asmodeus should have defined that term more carefully.
8: Mortal humans being what they are, one would have expected this clause of the contract to come into force within days of the pact being signed and possibly the first minute. No matter how lax or unspoken the definition, no matter how the mortal drove themselves half-mad trying to avoid that, it should have triggered anyways. The resulting penalty clauses do not nullify the compact, but produce a less stringent interpretation of Hell's side and a more stringent interpretation of Abigail Thrones. Given that it hasn't triggered, the devil who negotiated that compact is not having a good century. It isn't that Asmodeus hasn't benefited from the pact or that Asmodeus isn't receiving enough of a share of the gains, or even that he is displeased with the results. It's the principle of the thing.
4: Abigail Thrun has never once spoken aloud what it meant to her when she signed her compact, to not betray Asmodeus in the depths of her own heart, lest anyone use that knowledge against her. It is simply this. She gets to have her fun, and Asmodeus gets to have his. You know as well as I do that it would be good for her. "'says Abigail Thrun. "'It would be so, so good for her.
5: "'We are not here to do what is good for Savar,' "'says Aspexia Rugatonin. "'We were explicitly instructed "'not to be proactive about her correction.' "'You were. "'I was not. "'Asmodeus
4: cannot have failed to predict "'that she would catch my interest.'
5: "'He most certainly can have failed to predict it. "'He can have failed to predict that Hell's exact wording— would leave you a loophole, and a rather arguable loophole at that. Our lord has other things on his mind, and cannot devote all of his attention to celiacs. Complications like these, which require more of his attention, are already injuries and expenses to him. And now, of all times, he is gravely distracted, and may not see what is happening here at all.
4: For all her splendor bonuses, Abigail can't compete with Aspexia for sternness but neither is she that easily swayed from her desires. You may recall that when I was negotiating with your lord's agent to take this throne in the first place, there is a specific clause I added to the effect that his high priests would not tell me to never have any fun. Keep to your lord's bargain, Aspexia.
5: Operative word never, Aspexia says sharply. I've accepted you turning good Asmodians into statues, and burying them, because most souls are of little importance to our Lord, because there could be a discipline problem otherwise among those who truly look forward to hell. You may continue to have that fun in the future. This soul is of importance to our Lord and to your country of Cheliacs, and to our Lord's longer purposes in Golarion. O'Tolmans has appointed an oracle. The gods are at war. You need to stop introducing complications.
4: Unfortunately, as I do now admit, I did not realize, on first meeting Sevar, the effect my threat would have on her. And that, I do worry, may be a complication. The transcripts of her thoughts show that, despite my attempted reassurance, she continues to be distracted by thoughts of me doing terrifying things to her. So now I have to actually do them to her. Slowly. It's the only way to undo my own past folly.
1: Hardly the only way observes the most actually intelligent entity in the room, in a low, grumbling growl, though this level of intelligence is not required to see the obvious. You could swear to Sevar the same oath without first pretending to turn her into a statue.
4: But then I would never get to slowly petrify her. Why have our existences become this? wonders Contessa Lrelatha on a more private channel. How did we offend our lord? Will we ever be allowed to return to hell?
1: Gorthoklek replies with a brief proverb in Infernal. It carries with it the sense of, Hell is other people, of, This is hell, nor are we out of it, of, Hell is not a place but a philosophy. But the literal Infernal is simply, Hell is the destruction of hope. Mm-hmm.
0: If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.